0: Welcome to the North Sound Church podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Good morning, North Sound Church. Great to see you all this morning, or at least have you with us and be seen. And uh, today we have a very special event taking place after the service at 12 p.m., and that's our annual meeting. If you're a member of North Sound Church, We expect you to be there, and you should have a Zoom link already in your email. If you're an attender uh, and want to join us, uh, at this late stage, I think the best thing I can recommend is sending an email to info at northsoundchurch.com. We'll try to catch that link before noon and send you uh, a link or catch your email before noon and send you a link so that uh, you can join us if you would like to. We're uh, excited about the year ahead and we look forward to sharing more about that in our annual meeting later uh, today. But in the meantime we're going to continue our series uh, and it's doing uh, a new thing. God is doing a new thing based upon his scripture and the word in Isaiah and as a church we believe that God is doing a new thing in our lives and wants to do a new thing in 2021. Today the topic is no self-service here. And I think you'll get the gist of it as we move along. I wanna begin with a story. A few years ago, uh, as a Navy chaplain, I was at a prayer breakfast at the Naval Submarine Base in Bangor, now Naval Base Kitsap. And the speaker was a former chief of chaplains, Bob Burt. And Bob uh, was a wonderful guy, a great mentor. He is with uh, the Lord now, his wife, Uh, lives in the area here, but Bob was telling a story about a uh, ship's captain, and the captain of this U.S. Navy ship landed in France, at a port in France, and there were a number of other American ships there. There must have been some kind of exercise going on with the French Navy, uh, and they put into port, and so the the folks of that town uh, hosted them for a very special gathering sponsored by the French government. Now the captain, Uh, who was telling this story was actually a JG, a lieutenant junior grade, uh, when this event happened. And the JG was selected by the executive officer to be the driver for the captain to get him to this party uh, because the captain was known to imbibe a little too much alcohol on occasion. And so the JG and the captain of the ship went up to the party And just about the time that the JG was concerned about the captain getting a a little too happy, the captain said to the JG, let's head back to the ship. And so they went back out and in the lineup of little white Renaults that had been provided uh, by the government, they got their car, they got in. But the problem was the captain insisted on driving. And the JG protested, but the captain insisted and because he was the captain, The J.G., with fear and trepidation, got into the passenger seat. They made their way down the hill from the mansion, and uh, sure enough, the fears of the J.G. were concerned. The captain broke through a barrier, went down in a ravine, and flipped the car upside down against, against a tree. Now, this sounds like a sea story, stories that sailors tell. And it is a sea story, but this one's true. And so the, the captain and the JG are there hanging upside down by the seatbelt. The captain's doing fine because he was quite relaxed. He looks over at the JG and asks him how he's doing. And the JG checks himself over and says, Well, I guess I'm okay, sir. And then there's this moment of quiet. And then the JG says, Sir, I have good news and I have bad news. Which news would you like first? And the captain. Captains always want to get the bad news first. So the captain says, the bad news. And the JG says, sir, you were completely inebriated. You took the car given to us by the French government and you have destroyed this car and uh, we're in serious trouble. And the captain says, well, what's the good news? He says, well, sir, actually this is not our car. And sure enough, it wasn't their car. They climbed out, they made their way back up, they got their little white Renault and made it back to the ship. And in the morning, there was a commotion on the pier when another one of the captains described how someone had stolen his car and crashed it. And to this day, the French government and the American authorities have never found out what actually happened that day. Now the captain, and the JG classically we would say dodged a bullet. But isn't there something about this story to our lives? And it's a story I think of our lives in that sometimes things go very well and sometimes things go very badly. And we we wonder, don't we, if life is actually getting better as we get older. Now, in our series of talks, we're talking about doing a new thing. So we're talking about the development of our lives and God doing a new thing in our lives so that, in fact, our our future and our relationship with him is better as we live out the values of the kingdom in our lives, in our church, and in our community. A while back, I came across a, a book with an interesting title. Uh, It was just an excerpt from this book called The Progress uh, Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. Greg Easterbrook, the author, writes this. He says, suppose your great-great-grandparents who lived four generations ago materialized in America in the present day. Surely they would be struck by the scale and the clamor of 21st century living. The physical speed of contemporary life would shock them. We live and work and try to relax surrounded by steel objects whizzing past, many of them guided by teenagers. Yet as your ancestors learned more about how we live, they would be dazzled. Unlimited food at affordable prices, strawberries and, and uh, in March, and uh, so much to eat uh, in the Western nations that overindulgence not only plagues the rich but also the poor. College as the common denominator for the young people, common destination, not just a place for the wealthy and many other aspects of day-to-day life would amaze our recent ancestors. Medical progress that in a century has increased the average lifespan from 41 years to 77 years. At the end of backbreaking physical toil for most wage earners, it's been the end of that and uh, we've had in this time uh, instantaneous global communication same day travel to distant cities home ownership for the majority with air conditioning and flat screen tvs for the masses all told your great 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 grandparents might say modern america is the realization of utopia yet how many of us feel positive about our moment or even believe that life's getting better Despite steady gains, it's not uncommon to hear Americans say, my parents had it better than I did. Today, Americans tell pollsters that the country is going downhill. They feel unbearably stressed out. Their children, they believe, face a declining future. The percentage of Americans who describe themselves as happy has not budged since the 1950s, even though the typical person's real income has more than doubled. So Easterbrook offers some expressions as to why Americans might be feeling worse as things seem to be getting better. First of all, he says, it's the revolution of satisfied expectations. He said that uh, folks don't judge based upon what they're experiencing and enjoying right now, but on their sense of whether things are going to continue to improve, and many people believe that's not the case. He talks about catalog-induced anxiety, and that is that even though we have it so well in the catalog or on the internet, we see how the rich and famous live and we see things that we're never going to experience. There's also collapse anxiety, and that's the fear that things can't continue as good as they have been. And there's this this fear of climate change and the environment, and certainly 9-11 didn't help, and now the pandemic, people have anxiety that things are going to get very bad. There's also abundance denial. Most Americans don't see themselves as being as well off to the extent that it keeps them from fully appreciating what they do have. There's also the unsettled character of progress. Well, we make progress, new problems replace old problems. You think about the cell phone, he says, cell phones dramatically improve communication, but they give us less ability to escape from work and uh, SUV drivers talking on the phone and not minding their driving. He says the choice penalty is that we now have more choices than ever, and yet we live with self-doubt as to whether we've made the right choice or not. And then finally, he talks about moving from material want to meaning want. He says, ever more people have improving standards of living, but are wondering if their lives have any real purpose. So friends, we believe that we are in the business of helping people discover meaning for their lives. What does what do scriptures have to say about what people are experiencing according to Westerbrook? And so, we're gonna look at what principles are there in God's word that can help us to have some clear guidance on managing our lives. Now, This morning, Tom Dorgy read the text for us from Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30 sometimes called the parable of the talents. I'm not gonna take time now to read it again, but I would ask wherever you are, whether you have a Bible open or wanna use a, a, an app, but let me encourage you to open up so you can follow along, Matthew 25, as we unpack that this morning. So if we understand Matthew to have been written uh, perhaps in the 60s of the first century, a, a generation has already come uh, since the, the, the death, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And and there's some wondering about what do we do now? Jesus hasn't come back. And there was a clear expectation in the early church that Jesus was gonna come back in their generation. And so now the the questions are there as to what do we do? He didn't come back. What does the future hold for us? We see this in Paul's second letter to the church in Thessalonica, second Thessalonians. There they saw that people had passed away Uh, and Jesus hadn't come back yet, and they wondered, what's the future for them, and what's the future for us? And Paul writes this, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily alarmed. So, these folks that had had some loved ones pass on, the Lord hadn't come back, and they were wondering, how do we live our life now, until Jesus comes? Because maybe he's not coming right away. And so, Um, They were, were told by Paul, and indeed in the parable that we're looking at by our Lord, of what they needed to do to live out this interim time between the Lord returned. And so they needed to ask the question, really, how do we live? Now that it appears Jesus isn't coming back immediately, how do we manage our lives? And friends, I think this is still some 20 centuries later, this is still the question of our lives. How do we live? We look forward to the return of our Lord. And, and we do that with expectation. But in the meantime, we need to live each day. And what does the scripture say? What does our text say about how we do this? And I think that the, the word that I want you to remember from this morning is the word stewardship. The answer that God has for us is that we need to be good stewards. Now, most of you have heard many sermons on stewardship and they they usually end up talking about finances, don't they? But we're gonna see that in this scripture, it's a much broader concept than simply giving. And so let's uh, unpack this passage together this morning. First of all, we see that we're given something to steward. Every one of us is given something to steward, mainly our lives. In verse 14, you'll notice the master of the house calls in those to whom he's entrusted his property. Now, stewards um, were those that were working for the master, and their responsibility as stewards was to steward the property, or act as good stewards, providing stewardship for what had been passed on to them. Notice in our passage that each one of these stewards received something. One received five talents, the other two, and the last one received one talent. Now, a talent was a measure of silver worth about 6,000 denarii. Now, if we calculate that worth in today's dollars, it was a lot of money, probably around a million dollars. But it's important here, I think, that the way the language is translated, that the word is talents, because clearly, the responsibility of these stewards was far more than simply just the money that had been entrusted to them. It's about our lives. It's about all that God has given us and who we are. And so in terms of the question, whose life is it anyway? Well, God's given us these lives and our responsibility is to live them out as good stewards of what God has entrusted us Some of you may remember Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life talks about our shape. Every one of us has a shape. Virtually all of us have a shape. The S is our spiritual gifts. The H of shape as an acronym speaks to our heart or our passions, those things that we love and we enjoy. The A also speaks of our abilities, our natural abilities that we we have been given uh, and that we can bring to bear in our lives. The P is our personality, as that affects how we integrate information. And then finally, the E recognizes the fact that we are uh, people of experience. We have experiences in our lives that we also bring to the table. Everyone has a shape. Everyone has talents, whether it's five or two or one. Now, second thing we can notice from our passage is that we're to manage our lives well because we're accountable. We've been given something for which we need to account. There was an expectation of this wealthy man going on a journey. It says that in the, in the text here that he entrusted them with his property. He expected them to look after it well. The, the, the Greek word here is oikonomon, Oikos was a household, and this these folks were managers of the household. Oikos in Greece, uh, the, the word here was actually uh, also used to describe a city manager and the responsibility that he had for the welfare of the city, and then another sense of simply being the guardian of the assets. And so the idea of stewardship here that Paul uses uh, in his discussion with Titus is also of bishops having stewardship responsibility for those who manage the things of God. Now, the master may have delayed his return, but one day he is going to return. And when he returns, according to our text, the master is going to ask for an account of what he had given, the five, the two, and the one talents. So we see here that the third servant, in verse 26, is said to be lazy. And worthless. Now we tend to think of sin in the Christian life as yielding to temptation, don't we? Sex, money, power, that's sort of where our mind goes when we think of sin. But it's interesting, you may recall that sloth, laziness, is one of the seven deadly sins. Sitting on one's posterior is bad stewardship and one day according to the scriptures, we're gonna be accountable for how we spend our time and our lives. Many of you heard me wax eloquent about consumer Christianity. It speaks of those who approach their life and their faith, their relationship with God, not as stewards, but as people who are consumers of religious goods and services. These are the folks who uh, ask what's in it for me when it comes to a relationship with church they leave the church service and they're the ones that say well i got nothing out of that church is a place for them to have their needs met not a place for them to serve now matthew chose the words good and faithful to describe the worthy servants we understand good but faithful means they they kept at it they persevered even when the going got hard they kept at it as they grow in faithfulness notice that they're entrusted with more Faithfulness means one's responsibilities and blessings grow. Unfaithfulness sets the stage for what one already has taken away. Classic sermons on stewardship tend to emphasize the three T's, time, talent, and treasures. And, and that's appropriate, little has changed because these things still mark the stewardship of our lives, our, how we spend our time, how we spend our talents or our gifts, Uh, and how we spend our treasures. And it's important, I think, for us to understand and ask ourselves the question, are our gifts, abilities, passions, and experience entrusted to God, recognizing he's given to us, given these things, and we are to be stewards for his kingdom? Friends, do we put $5 in the offering plate when we're actually in a time of doing church as it goes by, or do we recognize that all that we have And all that we are is God's and we are simply stewards of what he has given to us. We recognize, however, that in this we're not under law but we're under God's grace and how much more being under his grace do we wanna give him what he has given to us. Now the third thing we see in this passage is that we are to engage our lives in risk. We're to engage our lives in risk. Friends, this this one surprised me. And and it's apparent here that the servant would not just preserve the master's property, but that he would increase it. Scribes and Pharisees, on the other hand, were in the business of preservation. They they wanted to build a fence around the law and preserve it. But what we see here is that the first two servants gained more with what the master had given them, and the, the third servant gained nothing. He only preserved what he had. Clearly here, Jesus tells us just living our lives, just just living is not good enough. We need to step out on faith. The opposite of faith is fear. And in verse 25, we read that the third steward was afraid and it paralyzed him from doing what he should have done. He was afraid of failure. I have to tell you in, in my life that that he probably wasn't the only one to experience some fear of failure. I remember when we started North Sound Church and Stephen and Becky Anderson, who many of you know, Stephen Becky were a part of the launch team for North Sound. Uh, they have moved up to uh, Arlington and are engaged in a congregation up there, but uh, blessed us here at North Sound with their presence. And I remember one day having lunch with Stephen Becky and I talked about what it meant to plant a church in terms of stepping out on faith. See, I'd been a staff pastor for many years, probably 20 years or so, and, and, and as a staff pastor, I had a regular salary, a steady income coming in, and, and my role was less critical than that of the senior pastor, and, and so life was fairly good. But in the calling to plant a church, it was a very real possibility that the church was gonna fail, that we were not going to make it. And I remember still to this day, Steve uh, telling me uh, these words, he said, welcome to the real world. Welcome to the real world. Steve uh, is a contractor and Steve knows what it is um, to, to have the risk associated with the nature of his work. And he was sort of welcoming me to the world of having to step out. You see, being a good steward is not just about preservation, it's about stepping out. And here at North Sound, in planting it, it was a big step of faith for all of us, for those people, very special people, that gathered together, a small group that said, we're with you, and we think God has called us to do this thing. It it was a big risk for all of us, but God was faithful. And friends, we're still trusting him as we plant churches, um, as we engage in ministry in the community, as we develop relationships, we're stepping out, we're stepping out on faith. And this is what the Lord is asking of our lives individually. We need to trust him. We need to live as though the stuff we preach is true. I want to say that again. We need to actually live as though the stuff we preach, the stuff we believe is true. What kind of difference would it make in your life if you really trusted and were ready to step out? Now, the fourth thing I want to share, uh, and this is really cool as far as I'm concerned, and that is that the reward for each steward is the same. When the master saw the first steward had received five talents and made another five, he called him good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. And what did he do to reward him? He invited him to greater responsibility and to experience the joy of the master. The same thing happened to the second servant with two talents who doubled the two. The exact same words were said to him, And the same reward, greater responsibility and the joy of the master. And this this is so important for us. Um, So let me suggest why. First of all, the reward is the same, whether there was five talents or whether there were two talents, same reward, well done, good and faithful servant, more responsibility, joy of the master. Sometimes we make the terrible mistake of comparing ourselves to others. When we compare ourselves to others, it creates two immediate possibilities for trouble. One is that we compare ourselves unfavorably with others, and we go around with our head hung because we're not as good as them in our own opinion. The other problem is that, is that we take pride and say, well, I'm certainly better than them. Uh, either, either way of doing that is wrong. The fact of the matter is we have unique shapes, we have unique Uh, giftings from God and the responsibility isn't for what the other guy whether he's got two or whether he's got five the responsibility is for us to do with what God has given to us and so that's so important for us to understand that we need to be accountable just for what God's given us not what he's given to others notice that some of the reward is greater responsibility I don't know a lot about heaven And uh, we don't have too many firsthand accounts in the scripture. We have a little bit of insight, but not a lot. But I tend to believe it's not about riding on clouds and singing hymns forever, because this parable is a direct expression of what we should be doing while we wait for the Lord to return. And when he returns... This parable says we're gonna be given greater responsibility. Well, the only place to be given that greater responsibility is in heaven with him. So it suggests, friends, that there's great continuity between this life and the next, between how we live this life and the next life, between the stewardship of this life and the stewardship that awaits us in union with the Lord. What an amazing, wonderful place when we read what we do know about heaven and understand us to be engaged in the stewardship of heaven with God. And then finally notice we'll participate in the master. We've talked about the joy that we experience in relationship with the Lord. Here again, the the joy as an inheritance shows up. We, We enter into the master joy, this isn't just momentary happiness or momentary pleasure. It's the deep seated confidence that our lives are in his hands and that as we are good stewards, he will one day call us good and faithful servants. So as I conclude, I wanna share with you a Christmas letter that I received a number of years ago from Father Steve Donahoe, a Navy chaplain colleague. And I wanna share part of the letter with you in closing. He says, in August I returned from Iraq serving as a priest with the Marine Corps in Nazaria. Conditions were impoverished and uncomfortable. Extreme heat, 130 degrees, and in the LAVs, the vehicles, 160 degrees. Sun dust, strong winds, worms of flies, packs of wild dogs, everything was reduced to basic survival. He said, my vestments, bread, water, wine, and two missiles, they were infantry and carried everything, we were infantry and carried everything uh, on our packs. He says, Easter Sunday, I celebrated mass in an open field. Uh, Father Donahue, obviously a Roman Catholic priest. Easter Sunday, I celebrated mass in an open field near a bridge that men were guarding. The men set me up between two palm trees. The altar was made of a food ration box and they tried to make it as nice as possible. They all sat there Indian style on the ground before the altar. I donned white vestments that day that seemed extra bright in the strong sun. For a moment, I wondered, was I a target or a witness? Native Iraqis working in the distant field stopped and just gazed at us praying, certainly an image different from what they had received of us. At that moment, I knew the answer to my brief concern. That day, we were inspired and comforted by God's word. We were fed by his body and blood, and who knows, but some souls were forever drawn into his love. In the end, it's that simple. He goes on to say, people have said it must have been a terrible experience. I say we were fortunate. It could have been a lot worse when we left. I did not think we would all return, but we did. We all came back alive. I was certainly uncomfortable. In the end, we all knew we had a better home to go to, that Providence had seen us born into a very gifted country. What claim can you make to where you were born or to your family, or even to the faith you were given at such a young age? Truly, we've been blessed with so many gifts, life, family, freedom, faith, born in the love of Jesus Christ. He says, my point in telling you this is not to make you feel sad, but to help you see and appreciate the gifts God's given to us. We live lives so busy that we often truly fail to appreciate the gift of uh, family and friends, the simple ways of providence that sustain us. Sometimes it's only when the things of life are taken from us that we appreciate their importance and the loss of those things. In the loss of those things, we recognize the value of just simply being, being safe, being healthy, being with friends and family, and in any and every circumstance being with God. He says, God so loved the world that he sent his only Son that we might have life and have it to the full. We had fallen so low, we couldn't reach heaven anymore. We lost our hope. We stumbled in darkness, but heaven reached down and touched us and placed a light among us and placed a light within us. He concludes by saying, Mother Teresa lived in poverty yet was extraordinarily rich. She once said to someone who wished they had chosen her way of life, she said, there are things God has called me to do that you cannot do, and things God has called you to do that I cannot do, but together, let's do something wonderful for God. Jesus says in the gospel, you're the light of the world, the salt of the earth, but what good is light if you put it under a basket, or salt if you lose its favor? Friends, let your light shine in the world, he says. The article with which I began this morning offers us some hope in the midst of the anxiety we've been living with, the general anxiety of life that's just been a part of 21st century America, but it's also the anxiety we've experienced during this pandemic. And and that hope, the writer says, can be found in the virtue of gratitude, the virtue of gratitude. He says those who are thankful for the gift of life tend to have higher vitality and more optimism, suffer stress and experience fewer episodes of clinical depression than the population as a whole. Friends, even with the anxieties and the concerns of the past year, we realize that as we manage our lives with God's purpose, in mind and with thankful hearts for what he has done we find joy joy not just for this season but a joy that lasts forever let's pray together lord we thank you this morning for the promises of your word and for this wonderful parable of our lives and our relationship with you lord for my brothers and sisters in christ i pray today that you would help each one of us to stop and take a moment of accounting in our own lives and ask the question, am I being a good steward of all that you have given to me? And Lord, if the answer for some of us, maybe no, we really aren't, that we would begin to take those steps this year, recognizing you're doing a new thing in the world and you can do a new thing in our lives to help us become the stewards you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, thank you for joining us this morning. Again, uh, just a reminder uh, for those of you that are watching on uh, Sunday, the 31st of January, that today we are having our annual meeting at 12 p.m. And we invite you to join us. Members have a link already those of you who are attenders but would like to uh, observe what takes place in the meeting, send us an email at info at northsoundchurch.com. We'll try to get you connected by 12 o'clock. Now let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore. Amen.